I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24, as we continue our study in Deuteronomy. Today we'll be looking at uh, Deuteronomy 24, verse 17 through 25, verse 4. So a little chunk of, of text here. Deuteronomy 24, 17 through 25, 4. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there, and it's page 156 in the Pew Bible. Page 156 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, then uh, please take that pew Bible with you. That's our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so take that and use that. You know, we talked a little bit about commitment this morning, commitment to the Lord. And, uh, you know, commitment to Christ is most often apparent in our commitment to love our neighbor. That's what Scripture teaches us over and over again. James says, faith without works, without outward deeds towards others is dead faith. And so how do you tell a person's faith by the actions of their lives and how you see their love for God? You often see it in their love for other people, and that becomes apparent, especially in our love for the vulnerable, the love, our love for the vulnerable in our communities. Now, last week, we we learn to love the vulnerable as ourselves by caring for their whole well-being, by dealing with them honestly, and by treating them as individuals. Now this week, we kind of continue that theme as we continue on down in our study of Deuteronomy. We continue that theme in caring for the vulnerable, but today we, we shift slightly to the importance of maintaining the rights of the vulnerable. Maintaining the rights of the vulnerable. As God's people, we must work to preserve the rights of the vulnerable. To preserve the rights of the vulnerable. That's a lesson in a sentence today. We believe that every human being is created in the image and likeness of God. And created in the image of God, every human being regardless of race and regardless of their socioeconomic status, every human being created in the image of God has inalienable rights. Our founding fathers recognized that. Every human being has inalienable rights, and our Constitution says we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, at least those three. Well, God's word it corroborates that, right? It, it, it tells us that very same thing. Today we are going to observe three rights that must be preserved, especially in case of the vulnerable. Because often it's the vulnerable in society who get their rights trampled on. So as followers of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must work to preserve the rights of the vulnerable. Now, let me kind of give you some of the context here. Deuteronomy 24, 17 marks a, a transition 
to the final commandment, right? We've been kind of working through this. We've been talking about this along the way. Uh, The Deuteronomic law, starting in in Deuteronomy chapter 5, is a sermon, Moses' sermon to the people of Israel. And he starts with the the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And then from chapter 6 on through chapter 26... Moses expounds on the the Decalogue. He expounds on the Ten Commandments and and shows how the Ten Commandments, or at least the principles behind the Ten Commandments, are then applied to the life of Israel, or to be applied to the life of Israel as they get ready to go into the Promised Land and establish the nation of Israel within the Promised Land. And so he's been kind of working this out for us. And now we're making a transition. We were in looking at the the ninth commandment. Now we're transitioning to the tenth commandment, which is you shall not covet. But if you kind of remember way back when, (laughs) we we talked about the ten commandments. We discussed that that principle, you shall not covet, has to do with maintaining your neighbor's rights. A person has a right to have a wife, have a family, to live and thrive, to own property, to have possessions. And, and we're not to covet that. We're not to want that and not have that. We, don't want, we shouldn't want to take from our neighbor their rights, the things that they have a right to. And now we're dealing with that. And starting in, in Deuteronomy 24, 17, and as we, we go on here, we see Moses begins by focusing on the rights of the vulnerable here in our text this morning. Then he'll move to the rights of a family, the rights of a family, and to have a heritage. And then he ends with the right to fair trade. And so we'll kind of see those other two as we work through it in the weeks ahead. But here's one thing I want us to, to make sure we always understand because we can kind of, a lot of people miss this. When it comes to understanding God's Word, God's Word doesn't simply teach us how to be good private Christians. See, that's what the secular world wants us to think. The secular world wants us to think, well, you just take your beliefs in in Christ, you just take your beliefs in Jesus, and that's okay for you in your home, in your place of of living, and and in the church, that's fine, but don't bring it to the public square. Don't bring it into politics. Don't bring it into public policy. Don't bring it to influence our schools. Don't bring it out of your home. But God's Word isn't like that. God's Word is written to inform us and inform us how to live out our faith, not just at home, not just in the church building, but in our community. It teaches us how we should vote when elections come. It teaches us how we should encourage our politicians, encourage policymakers to to form policies. It teaches us how to keep people accountable so that we can be God's influence on the culture around us. So we need to understand that as we we look at today's text. uh, Some people might say, well, what does all this have to do with with church life? It it, it doesn't. It has to do with God's people living out their faith in the broader community. As we live out our faith in the broader community, we should look to preserve the rights 
of the most vulnerable people in our community. The widows, the orphaned, the immigrant, the poor, the destitute. We must work to preserve their rights. They have rights just like we have. We must work to preserve their rights. So if you've found your place in our text, please stand with me, if you're able, in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Starting in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 17. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your fields and forget a, she a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widows. When you gather grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. If there is a dispute between men and they come into the court and the judge decides between them acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty then if the guilty man deserves to be beaten the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten in the presence with a number of stripes in proportion to his offense 40 stripes may be given but not more lest if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother be degraded in your sight. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, we pray today that you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Father, Lord, teach us today teach us how to how to work to preserve the rights of the vulnerable Lord, give us a heart to to recognize those in the community around us those in our own family who are vulnerable who are most vulnerable let us not be blind to their vulnerability let us not be blind to their rights let us not be blind to their needs but Lord, let us demonstrate our love for you by demonstrating your love for them. Lord, help us, teach us to love the vulnerable and work to preserve their rights. Of these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at our text today and we, we work to see how, how do we preserve the rights of the vulnerable, well first, we preserve the rights of the vulnerable. As we preserve the rights for, of the vulnerable, we must preserve their right to justice. We must preserve the vulnerable's right to justice. 
we see this beginning in our, our first text. When you look there at that first little paragraph, you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. We see here first and foremost that the vulnerable have a right to just judgments. The vulnerable have a right to just judgments. The, the vulnerable are, are often the ones who, who get overlooked when it comes to the court trial. The rich and the wealthy, they may have uh, wealth enough to, to buy a, a good lawyer, where the vulnerable don't always have that available to them. And oftentimes we can see the most vulnerable in our society get overlooked. Why, well, take, for example, the recent reports on sexual abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention. This sexual report uncovered some alarming cover-ups of abuse that have taken place, yes, even in the SBC. Thankfully, they weren't as vast as in other denominations. We have that to be thankful for, but there were some terrible cases of, of cover-up, sexual abuse being covered up by God's people. One such cover-up involved Debbie Basquez, who was, she was repeatedly assaulted by her pastor. And that assault began when she was only a little girl. When she was 14 years old, the abuse began. And the abuse continued and continued and continued. And when one assault led to Vasquez being, becoming pregnant, Vasquez was then forced to go before the church and apologize, yet she was forbidden to name the father of the child. She was condemned a sinner before the church while her abuser was allowed to leave and go pastor another church. You see, often this is the case. The most vulnerable in our communities are often villainized while their abusers walk free. Because, you know, they got a reputation to keep. When we see this, this ought to make us sick. It should make us angry. That's a righteous anger that should well up inside us when we hear such cases as these. How often do the vulnerable get overlooked? How often do the vulnerable get trampled on? Because they don't have the reputation of someone who has abused them. And we have to protect the rights of the vulnerable by demanding just judgments. When we see the vulnerable trampled upon, we must demand a just judgment. Their abusers need to be punished. Their abusers need to be held accountable. We cannot overlook that. We cannot overlook that. We preserve the right of the vulnerable by demanding just judgments for the vulnerable. But it doesn't end there. The vulnerable also have the right to just punishment. The vulnerable have the right to just punishment. 
I'm going to skip down to chapter 25 here in that first paragraph of 25 because they, they deal with this same kind of issue, the issue of justice, the right to justice. So look down at chapter 25, verse 1. If there is a dispute between men and they come into the court and the judge decides between them, acquitting the innocent, notice that, acquitting the innocent, the innocent is found to be innocent, and condemning the guilty, then if the guilty man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with a number of stripes in proportion to his offense. Notice that. In his presence with a number of stripes in proportion to his offense. Forty stripes may be given him, but not more, lest if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother be degraded in your sight. The vulnerable have the right to just punishment. They have a right to just punishment. In other words, there, there, there needs to be punishment, right? If, if a crime has been committed, and we need to recognize that sometimes criminals are the vulnerable. When they get into the, the legal system, sometimes those criminals become vulnerable. Yes, they have a right to just punishment, which means they should be punished for their criminality, for their offenses. Yes, we demand justice. God is a just God. And we should look to our government to, to provide just judgments. But you see, when the, the criminal is punished, we also need to make sure that those punishments don't go too far. That's what this law is all about. That's what this principle is all about. The punishment needs to be in proportion to the crime. We see the same in what's called the Lex Talionis. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. In other words, the punishment must be equal to the crime. He doesn't say it shall be life for eye, life for foot, life for hand. No, it's life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The punishment must be according to the offense. You see, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can become very callous towards the criminal. But we need to remember that the criminal is also created in the image and likeness of God. They're sinners. And when they commit a crime, they need to be punished for their crime in our courts, in our legal system. But they are men and women created in the image and likeness of God. And because they are created in the image and likeness of God, they deserve to be treated with dignity. Which means just punishment. Punished for their crime, but not beyond that. But it also means that they should have humane treatment while they are incarcerated. So all of these jails of, of old time where, where the, the, the conditions were inhumane well, we can never allow that to happen again now our prison system is much better today in, in that sense there's a lot of other problems with our 
prison system. But we need to recognize as followers of Jesus Christ, as God's people, we must protect the, the rights of all the vulnerable. We must demand just judgments and just punishment. We must make sure that everyone gets treated with dignity because every human being is created in the image and likeness of God. Justice must always be tempered with mercy. Justice must always be tempted or tempered with mercy. Praise the Lord that he had mercy on us when he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. We preserve the rights of the vulnerable by preserving their right to justice. Second, we must also preserve the right to sustentation. The right to sustentation. Now, what do I mean by that? That's a weird word. I, I never used that before until I started studying for this text. And I tried to find a word that kind of encapsulated all of this. And, and this is the word I came up with. So I hope this is the right word. Preserve the right to sustentation. Now, what do I mean by that? This is the right. The right to sustentation is the right to maintain life growth, that is, human development, and morale. Now look at verse 24, 19 through 22. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree... You shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Now, as he's talking about this, this was not the welfare system of, of Israel. And we think of our welfare system, that's not what this is. It, it's kind of that, that kind of thing, but, but not really. It was far better than our welfare system that we have here in America. But here it recognized that, first of all, that the Lord our God is provider of all things. And as Israel, as an agrarian society, they're going in to establish this nation as they would have fields with wheat, and vineyards with grapes and olive trees with olives as they would go out and they would begin to see the produce of the land and God would bless them and give them great and wonderful harvest. They were also to look to the vulnerable, to the sojourner, that is the immigrant, the fatherless, the orphan, the widows. Those who were most vulnerable in their society, they were to look after them. And they weren't just to strip everything away, they were to leave them some. So that those who were in need might come and, and gather a harvest for themselves and, and eat and live and, and have some uh, life there in Israel. We are to look to the sustentation of 
the vulnerable around us. We don't have fields of, well, not everybody. Some of us have fields, I guess, and some of us harvest wheat and all those things, uh, but not like they did in, in those days. Most of us in here aren't farmers. Most of us don't have crops and trees and all of that stuff for, for those who are in need to come and get what they need. But the most vulnerable of our society still have the right to sustentation. They have a right to maintain life, to live. They have a right to, to growth, to, to develop as a human being. To feel like they have something to contribute to the society. They have a right to good morale. Have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Have a right to sustain life. To sustain life, to have the physical things that are, are needed to have those things so that they can live and not starve to death. They have a right to life. But they also have the right to sustain dignity. They have a right to sustain dignity, to, to feel like they have dignity and not feel like the scum of the earth. You see, that's the problem with American welfare system. It doesn't preserve a person's dignity. In their book, When Helping Hurts, Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert uh, tell the story of Alyssa Collins. Alyssa was an unwed mother of five who dropped out of high school when she was 16 and lived on welfare in one of America's most dangerous public housing projects in inner city Chicago. She wanted to get out of her situation. She didn't like living there. She didn't like being in those conditions. She wanted to provide for her family and get out of the projects. But when she tried to get a job, there were a number of obstacles that got in her way. The authors observed, first, there were simply not enough, not a lot of decent paying jobs for high school dropouts living in the ghetto. Second, the welfare system penalized Alyssa for earning money taking away benefits for every dollar she earned and for every asset that she acquired. Third, Alyssa found government vocational training and job assistance programs to be confusing and staffed by condescending bureaucrats. Fourth, Alyssa had child care issues that made it difficult to keep a job. And finally, Alyssa felt inferior and inadequate. And when she tried to get vocational training for a job and face some uh, obstacles, she quickly lost confidence and rapidly retreated into her comfort zone of public housing and welfare checks. See, the, the problem with American welfare is that it addresses only one need, the material need. It does nothing to address the need for human development and morale. It meets people's physical needs, but it, it doesn't meet their, their spiritual and psychological needs. It, it fails to uphold a person's dignity. Now contrast Alyssa's story with the story of Boaz and Ruth. 
You see in the story of Boaz and Ruth, we see this text here in Deuteronomy coming to life. Because here was Ruth, who lived with her mother-in-law, Naomi, both widows, both the most vulnerable of the Israelite society. But they needed a way to provide. They needed a way to sustain life and to sustain their dignity. And so what did Ruth do? She went out to the fields when the harvest began and she began to to go out and, and to reap behind the reapers to collect the leftover. And she found herself, the Lord led her to the field of Boaz, who we found out later is a kinsman redeemer. But she goes to the fields of Boaz and Boaz is gracious to Ruth. He finds out who she is, and he goes to her and he says, Ruth, you stay here in my field. You follow my women. You go with my women, my ladies, my female servants. You you walk along with them, and you reap a harvest for you and Naomi. And not only that, he also instructed his young men, you don't touch her. You don't mess with her. You don't harass her any at all. You let her be. You let her gather as much as she wants to gather. In fact, leave a few sheaths for her. Just lay them down and leave them for her to gather and take home. And when it came time for lunch, when they went on lunch break, he said, come on, Ruth, come up, sit by me. And he he gave her part of his lunch out of his lunchbox so much so that she had her fill and saved a little bit to take home to Naomi at the end of the day he was gracious loving he provided for her physical need but he also allowed for her and Naomi to keep their dignity to feel like they were productive feel like they were doing something to provide for themselves because they were. He preserved their right to sustentation. We need to work to preserve the rights of the vulnerable to sustentation. We must work to meet needs, absolutely. Why James chapter 2 verses 15 through 16 tells us if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to, to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? It's no good. We've got to do that. We've got to meet those needs, but we cannot simply meet those physical needs without giving attention to the physical and the psychological needs of the people who need our help. How does this work out? I'm not sure. We've got to figure that out. Our welfare system sure is not doing it, so the church, we, we've got to step up. We've got to figure out ways to help people in our community who do have needs in ways that maintains their dignity, gives them the ability to develop to maybe go out and produce on their own and becoming uh, fruitful members of society. we got to work at it. Figure out ways to help them. 
to sustain life and dignity. We must preserve the right to sustentation. We must work to preserve the rights of the vulnerable. We must preserve their right to justice, their right to sustentation. And third, we must preserve the right to fair wages. We must preserve the right to fair wages. And we come to this last verse in our text this morning. You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. Now Moses is using an analogy here, and Paul brings it out, and we'll get there in a minute, but when we think about an ox, a farmer is going to take care of his ox. A farmer is not going to allow his ox to starve and go hungry. No, that's a, a valuable animal for him because that animal does a lot of work around the farm, and so he's going to work to maintain the health of that ox. Here's an important principle that an ox working in the field, an ox working to tread out the grain, has a right to some of the produce of his work. He has a right to benefit from his labors, to maintain life through his labors. And so it is, we pay the ox, but we almost also must pay the laborer. Paul brings out this point. He, he makes it clear that Moses isn't really concerned here about the ox. This is an analogy. It's an example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, Paul establishes his rights as an apostle. In 1 Corinthians 9, 9 through, 8, uh, 9 through 12, he established his rights to earn a fair wage from the gospel ministry on this very law in Deuteronomy. There he says, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this right claim, rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. In 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18, he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And, quoting Jesus here, The laborer deserves his wages. Everyone has a right to earn fair wages. We must work in our society to be a voice for the vulnerable to uphold their right to a fair wage. If you're a boss, your employees deserve a fair wage. They deserve to live from the fruits of their labor. As citizens, we must also advocate for the vulnerable of our society. Those who don't have a voice, we must be their voice. We must go out and vote. We must go out and 
help form policy within our culture so that the most vulnerable in our society receive fair wages, receive, receive a fair shake in life. We must preserve the rights of the vulnerable. Why is all of this important? Why should we care about the vulnerable? Well, he gives us that too, doesn't he? Because when we were vulnerable, when we were weak, when we were enslaved, God rescued us. You shall remember, he tells Israel, that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. He says that twice. Up there in verse 19 and verse, no, verse 18 and in verse 22. He says, remember, you were enslaved, but I redeemed you. Now, we've never been slaves in Egypt, but we've all been slaves to sin. Ephesians 1, 7 tells us, In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. We love the vulnerable. We care for the vulnerable because we see them. We see them in their poverty. We see them in that place of vulnerability. And we understand that we were there. And Christ died so that we might have freedom, so that we might have liberty in Him. Dear friend, we must be we must have concern for the most vulnerable in our society, working to preserve their rights. Because Jesus came to give us life eternal in Him. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You today for the salvation that we have experienced as Christians through Jesus Christ. For we were enslaved to sin. We were on a path to eternal destruction. And Lord Jesus, you came, you lived, you died for us to redeem us and set us free. Oh Lord, Give us eyes of mercy to the vulnerable in society, to the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the prisoner, the poor, the needy, the children, all of those who often get overlooked. Lord, let us preserve their rights. Let us be their voice. Let us be their advocate. Even as Christ is our advocate in heaven. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.